What a wonderful morning we're having this morning together. Father, we thank you for your presence among us. Lord Jesus, we love that wonderful promise that you're always true to. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. And Lord, we just want to thank you for that. We love your presence as your people. We love coming together and we honor you in this place. Amen. Amen. Well, we had a wonderful holiday. As you may or may not know, we were due to go to the Netherlands and that quickly got cancelled as, um, as they shut France down and then, then shut the Netherlands down. But we had a great time. Did some day trips and um, it, was, it was a wonderful time just to go away and be refreshed. But I tell you now, there is no place like home. There is no place. It's nice to have a rest, isn't it? It's nice to have a holiday. But really, do you know, to be with the people of God, to be together as his bride, as his body, as his building. There's nothing like it. And um, just coming in this morning and, and uh, just singing and, and being together. What a wonderful joy it is for us this morning to be here. So um, just wonderful. And the last two weeks, what a blessing. Pastor Dale last week, Pastor Ray the week before. Come on, let's give thanks to God for the ministry. You know, the ministry that continually enriches our lives. We truly are so thankful, so thankful for that. Well, you may remember just before we went away, I started a series of messages titled A Hopeless End or An Endless Hope. A Hopeless End or An Endless Hope. And within that title, there's a question. There's a question that every human being asks at some point in their lives. You look around the world today, you look back throughout history, and people within our world have always been deeply troubled by this question. Is it all heading towards a hopeless end? Are we spiraling down towards a hopeless future. This is the, the plight of man. This is the plight of our time. This is the plight of, of humanity in the past, in history, as you look down throughout the ages. But into this fearful time, into a fearful future that the world heads towards the Bible, God's word, has a clear and a concise answer about it all. Outside of Christ, we see that we head towards a hopeless ending. But in Christ Jesus, we do not have a hopeless ending. It's impossible to have a hopeless ending in Christ Jesus. We are set to have an endless hope in him, and this is what the scriptures, this is what the word of God articulates almost on every page from beginning right to its ending. 
The word of God is clear to us that we have a hopeless, a, a, an endless hope in Christ Jesus, not a hopeless end. We really do. Paul the Apostle had an incredible understanding of this eternal, endless hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And it's very important that we understand it. It's very important that every day we verse our minds and we marinate our spirits in this wonderful hope that we are given in Christ Jesus. Paul talks about it almost in every letter that he writes to the church and many other letters within the New Testament and throughout the Old Testament. We are given this wonderful hope in God. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about these two clear realities that people are faced with. And he shows us this most glorious picture. This most glorious picture of God interrupting and intervening our hopeless state. And visiting us with this glorious, endless hope of eternal life. Let me read it to you. God intervenes. God interrupts our hopelessness with wonderful hope through the saving power of Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 through to verse 10 says this, and you he made alive. That's hope right there. That's, that's endless hope right there. Eternal hope. You've been made alive in Christ Jesus. Who, you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, we were in a hopeless condition. A hopeless state, dead in sin, dead in transgression, without God in this world and without hope. But Paul says, and he paints this glorious picture, this wonderful revelation for all to see and hear. He's made us alive. We who were dead in trespasses and sins, he says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others, but God. You see, he just adds to the color. He adds detail to the picture all the time. That's the amazing thing about the Apostle Paul because he was being inspired by the Holy Spirit to describe and paint this most glorious picture of the hope that we have received and the hope that we have in Christ. But God, he says, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus 
that in the ages to come, so now he's looking down, way, way down the corridor, far, far beyond the time of our world, in the future, in eternity, Paul sees way, way beyond this ruined world into the kingdom of God that will ultimately break forth and be with us forever in which we will live and dwell. He sees it clearly that in the ages to come God might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus and again he repeats it for by grace you have been saved through faith and not and that not of yourselves we couldn't bring anything to the table this, this is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul's understanding of God, Paul's understanding of the future was not that it was all winding and spiraling down to a hopeless end. Paul had the most glorious revelation as did the other servants of God who wrote this word of God for us. They had the most glorious revelation that a new day had broken forth in the earth when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and on that moment a new kingdom inaugurated in our world began of which we are a part and he saw it so clearly and he speaks about it because he wants to generate hope in every one of our hearts in amidst this hopeless hopeless world in which we live on in his writings to the church at Colossae he speaks again of this wonderful hope Colossians chapter 1 verse 26 to 27 he talks expansively about this hope having been hidden in ages past but now has been revealed in our time oh we are privileged we are greatly privileged by God to be allowed to live in this day, in this generation because of what's broken forth. What was formerly hidden, what was formerly mysterious and shrouded in type and symbol has broken forth clearly in the earth in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He talks about it one, uh, in Colossians 1, 26 to 27. He says this, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God will to make it known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, he tells us exactly what it is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm telling you now, you must never ever evaluate your life on the material goods that you've amassed in this world. They are nothing in comparison to the riches that you have received in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, if you want to find the richest place on this planet, look no further than your heart where Jesus Christ resides. Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
C.S. Lewis made a wonderful remark when he said, I believe in Christianity. Not like, I believe in Christianity like I believe that the sun will rise in the sky. Not because I see the sun, but because by it I see all things. What Paul is saying is we don't have to physically see Christ Jesus to have this hope of glory. Christ is in us and as a result of Christ being in us, we see all things. We see beyond this fallen, broken world. We see beyond the sinful powers that are governing this world and the principalities that are taking it on its course to a hopeless end. We see far, far down the corridor of time into eternity where we will ultimately be exactly like Christ is in all of his fullness, in all of his glory, because John said when we see him, we will be like him. Hallelujah. This hope that we hold in our heart is not some kind of wishful thinking that dissolves under the pressures of life. This hope that's alive inside us is fueled by Christ Jesus, his power and the presence of his Holy Spirit. This hope that we have is not some kind of crossing fingers behind your back hoping for a better tomorrow. Oh no, this hope, this hope that we hold in our hearts is anchored and articulated on the promises of God. One that cannot lie. God talking about his own character said, I am not a man that I should lie. And I'm telling you now, if he says it, if he speaks it, he will do it. And that is alive in us. And that's what makes us buoyant in amidst the turbulent times in which we live. Tell you, we can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. Why? Thou art with me. That's hope right there. That's hope. You get caught in that valley of the shadow of death, not knowing that he's with you. That's hopelessness. I tell you now, when you look through the lens of hope at the promises of God and the scriptures right from the beginning, you see that it's scattered everywhere. God is the God of hope. He really is. No, our hope isn't a matter of crossing your fingers hoping for a better day. Our hope isn't a flimsy expectation on, on political leaders and new powers promising this, that, and the other that never materialize. No, our hope is a clear, confident expectation that God's glory is our ultimate end that we're just moving through we're just transitioning from one place to another place and where we will ultimately be will be without sorrow will be without tear will be without uh, sickness will be without all of the inconsistencies of a fallen world into the wonderful glorious kingdom where we will pr praise and honor and glorify Jesus forevermore we have a clear, confident expectation. This is what hope gives you. This is what the word of God gives you. And that's why we've got to read it. 
That's why Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, he said, let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. Let it dwell within you richly. He said, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated, not on things of this world. And, and more than ever, we've got to let that word of Christ dwell within us. We've got to set our minds and our affections on, on Christ where he's seated, not on the things of this world. Why? Because that's where our hope is. That's what we're anchored to. That's what we're moving towards. And I'll tell you something now. I'll show you this next week. Your hope will make you happy. Your hope will make you healthy. Your hope, Bible hope anyway, will make you whole. It will make you complete. It really will. Clear, confident expectation that we are moving ultimately to God's glory. That's our ultimate end. Not a hopeless ending, but an endless hope that good is going to happen. Good things are ahead of you because God is good. And we might not know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. You see, we know the one who holds the future. We know the one that moves and manipulates and sovereignly steers everything towards a given end. His kingdom, his kingdom of which we are a part. In the 1400s, people believed that the earth was flat. And because of that, because they believed that the earth was flat, sailors wouldn't explore beyond the boundaries of their maps. In fact, around the perimeter edges of each map, there was the inscription, no more beyond. No more beyond. No more beyond the edge of this map. Watch out. Don't get too close to the perimeter. Don't get too close to the boundary. Don't get too close to the border. No more beyond. You might sail off the edge of the world, you know. There's no more beyond. That was the national motto of Spain. That was the belief that they had set out in their cultures, in their thinking, in their attitude. And it was rooted in the lie that had been spoken throughout the ages from Greek mythology. No more beyond. And that belief closed the door for any type of new discovery. That belief set the ceiling under which the nation was greatly limited. No more beyond was their national motto. No more beyond was the lie that they held to, believing it to be the truth. No more beyond. But in 1492, if you know your history, a man by the name of Christopher Columbus challenged the lie, challenged the mindset, challenged the boundaries, challenged the borders and the motto, no more beyond. He stood up and said, the earth is not flat. I believe the earth is round. And I do believe that if we sail beyond our borders, we're not going to fall off the edge of the world. No, if we go beyond the boundaries, we're going to discover.
discover new lands. We're going to explore and discover that, that this, this limitation that we've been living under is nothing but a lie. There's actually more beyond, not no more, beyond. So after getting permission from the king, he set out on his voyage of discovery. And he must, as they sailed, have got to the boundaries of the maps that they held of that time that said no more beyond. And as they got to the perimeters, maybe sailors feared who were on that voyage to go beyond the boundaries. But Columbus knew in his heart that there was more beyond the limitations. There was more beyond the ceilings. There was more beyond the lie. There was a land of discovery to find. History tells us that because of his courage, because of his determination, because of his unrelenting spirit to believe that there was more beyond, the Americas were found and other new lands. He came home and he told the king and the news was announced that the earth actually wasn't flat that there was more beyond their boundaries. There was more beyond their limitations. There was more beyond the lie. And new lands had been discovered. The king quickly changed the inscription. Quickly changed the motto, no more beyond, to more beyond. He just dropped one word. But oh, just dropping one word made a huge difference. There's more beyond, he said. And they had it inscribed on their coins. And even today, if you go to Spain, there's a monument that is erected in honor of Columbus. And at the bottom of the monument, there's a lion tearing at that statement, no more beyond, striking at the no, leaving more beyond as an inscription for all to see. An amazing story, an amazing piece of history for us to look at and to think about. I wonder today, if you were to look at your life and think about it, what comes to mind? What's been going on over recent months in your heart? What's been going on over recent years? Have you resigned yourself to the, the spirit that would say, there's no more beyond. There's no more beyond this maybe relational breakdown and hurt and pain. No more beyond the personal failure that I've undergone. No more beyond the pressing health issue that seems so dominant and persistent. There's no more beyond this health issue. I just have to live with it. No more beyond. No more beyond the depression and the fear that I feel. No more beyond the sadness that I have to live with every minute of the day that just seems to be there, that's put me in a sump-like existence. No more beyond the disappointment of others. No more beyond is a hopeless place that God never wants any one of us to live in. No more beyond is not a place 
or a motto or an inscription that God wants written over any one of our lives. No, there's more beyond. There's more beyond. We, we opened up with that first song, Hindsight, and as Noel sang it, I heard those words, there's more ahead than what's behind us. There's more ahead, church. There's more ahead than what's behind us. But oh, how the devil works day and night to say there's only what's behind. There's nothing ahead of you. But that is a lie. And I'm telling you, you refute it and stand on the word of God. There's more ahead for every single one of us in Christ Jesus. More ahead, far more ahead than what's behind us. And hope enables us to have a good, confident, clear expectation of the goodness of God in our lives. Let's never subscribe to that spirit that would say, there's no more beyond. No, there's more beyond. Because God is in the mix of your life. He's in the mix of my life. And he's got a purpose for you. He's got a plan for you. And it's exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask or think. Woo! There's more beyond. We have a future that's not framed by hopelessness. We have a future in Christ Jesus and only because of Christ Jesus. Not because of a nice pep talk or a motivational speech, but because of the spirit of Christ Jesus living in us and the word of God. We have a living hope of the future that it's ultimately moving and constantly working towards the culmination of when Jesus will return and God's glory will be complete. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 in the Amplified Bible, the writer to the Hebrews says this, let us seize and hold tightly the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is reliable and trustworthy and faithful to his word. Grab hold of this hope, seize this hope. If it's the one thing you do, don't let it go. Don't let any straying thought or any worldly distraction take you off your way, take you off your course. You are a people of hope. Seize it, he says. Take hold of it, he says. Don't let go of it. The, com the, the confession of your hope. What is that confession? Well, it's all over the Bible. We've read a little part of it in Ephesians 2 and Colossians 1. When Paul wrote to the believers in Rome, it seemed on the outside that they, as a church, were at a hopeless end. It really did. All of the circumstances pressing in on them. Everything around them, satanic assault, terrible affliction, persecution, pressure on an untold scale was weighing down against this church at Rome that Paul wrote his letter to. 
it seemed like a hopeless end, a dead end that the church had arrived at. But Paul prays the most amazing prayer for them. And it's his deep desire for them to encounter the God who is the source of hope. You see, the source of hope is not in our wishful thinking. The source of hope doesn't exist in this world in any given material thing. The source of hope is God. And he gives us an endless hope. So Paul prays for the church at Rome who are in a crisis and in unbelievable persecution to encounter the God who is the source of all hope. And it's an amazing prayer. He wants them to evaluate their present circumstances. Not on what they can do in them. But he wants them to evaluate their present circumstances and the pressures that they are under and feeling in light of the endless, eternal hope that is in them, Christ Jesus. So in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, he sets out his expectation. He sets out his prayer for them. Let me read it to you. Romans 15, 13. I pray, he says, that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. What an amazing prayer. What an amazing understanding and hope that Paul has for these believers that are in a crisis. But for a moment, imagine yourself as a first century Christian hearing this prayer that Paul is praying for every believer in Rome. You are facing the death penalty. You are facing hostility on a city that is overcrowded with people that have no thought or no heart or no want or desire for the Christ that you serve. But what's important to see from this amazing prayer is that Paul doesn't pray for help. He doesn't pray for help. He prays for hope. He prays for believers to encounter the God of hope. Now, when you look at the context in which Paul was praying, Rome was actually alive with hope. The city of Rome was alive with hope at that time because a new emperor had just been chosen and appointed as the Lord of Lords. That's what they would call the Caesars. That's what they would call the new emperors that would take power at the head of the empire, Caesar, the Lord of Lords, would often be the inscription. Caesar, the God of all gods. And everybody had to pay allegiance to the new appointed Caesar, except the Christ follower, the disciple, 
couldn't do that because their hope was anchored in one that you cannot see. Their hope was anchored beyond this fallen world into an eternal world that is going to suddenly emerge when Christ returns. They couldn't subscribe or pay allegiance to the Caesar that had been appointed. The young man that had been appointed as Paul was writing his letter to the Romans was a young man called Nero. And he had come to power and was at the helm of the most powerful nation in the earth. All of the people's hopes. You see, they would spread their gospel just like Paul would spread his gospel. His gospel, as he would introduce it, he would, he would write, this is the gospel of God. And he would write his letter and Paul's gospel would be from God and it would be about Jesus Christ and it would explain about all of the riches and all of the wonders of the hope that we have in him. Caesar's gospel would announce his appointment and his power and his dominance over the empire and it would announce him in conflict and contention to the gospel that Paul spoke as Lord of Lords. As God of gods, the believers at Rome wouldn't hold to that. They had Jesus living in their hearts. But as this gospel of Caesar went out, the appointment of this new emperor, Nero, there was excitement in the people. And throughout the city and on into the Mediterranean, Nero was a cultured man, a charismatic man. A charming speaker. He was highly educated by the best. Hope was alive. But, you see, history shows us. History tells a story, as it always does, that Nero, the new Caesar, wasn't the Lord of Lords. Neither was he the God of Gods. And the people put their hope in somebody that was fallible and somebody that was wicked. And that man set the, 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 the city of Rome ablaze. And when he realized that fingers were pointing at him and people were looking and wondering what he'd done, he started to blame the Christians. And a tremendous persecution went throughout the city. And this is the context in which Paul is writing. And this is the prayer into which Paul is praying. And he's not praying for help. He's not cursing Nero. He's not calling down the judgment of God. He's not telling the believers to exit Rome. No, he's telling them to have an encounter with God who is the source of hope. Paul doesn't complain about the circumstances, the injustice of, of these horrid events that are going on and how Christians are being persecuted. No, they are almost the necessary ingredients that Paul needs and the church needs to encounter the God of glory, the God of hope, and to, and to know that this joy and this peace are available. So he doesn't pray. For help, but for hope. Because he sees the church, you see, not at 
a hopeless end. But heading towards an endless hope in Christ Jesus. When the word of God resides in us richly, you're unmovable. You're unshakable. Not because you're strong. Not because, you know, you're better than anybody else. But it's the living word of God that acts within you. That's powerful. That enables you to stand up amidst the storms. That enables you to speak positive. That enables you in the midst of great sadness and great loss to be joyful and abounding in peace and confident in hope. And that's what Paul prays for. And this is the light of this gospel and this life that we have in Christ that's so brilliant and so appealing to the dark world in which we live. Paul's unmoved by the trials. Paul doesn't even mention the name Nero in his gospel. He doesn't even mention all of the massacres that are taking place. I tell you what he does mention. I want to get to Rome and visit you. I'm so desperate to come right into the mix, right into the trouble, right into the darkness. I want to be with you in it. I've got to get there. And through shipwreck and being hounded and hunted and and being delayed on many fronts, ultimately Paul would get to Rome. Peter had got to Rome and he had been hunted down and he was leaving the city. And history tells us that as Peter was leaving the city of Rome, he saw Christ carrying his cross, entering it. And taking that as a sign, he turned around, went, handed himself over to the Roman authorities and was crucified upside down. I'm telling you now, it's only an endless hope that can empower a man, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to do that. And that's what history tells us. I'm telling you something now, the people of God are strong. Hallelujah. And Paul ultimately did get there. He couldn't be crucified because you couldn't crucify a Roman citizen. So they just murdered him. God is the source of all hope. There's more beyond. There's more about you than you know. Your life is not just an accumulation of past events. Oh no. In this broken, fallen world, no, there's, there's more to you than meets the eye. As, as, as Paul tells us, You're the very workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus. You may not feel like it. You may not think it. But I'm telling you now, when it's all said and done, you are moving towards an endless hope in Christ Jesus where ultimately, ultimately, we will resemble him completely. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. What a wonderful, wonderful word from the scriptures, from the word of God. In this prayer, Paul talks about abounding in hope. He doesn't just want them to have some flimsy kind of wishful thinking. No, this hope is concrete. This hope has been articulated very accurately. No words missed out. 
Abound in hope, he says. I want you to abound in hope. I want you to meet the God, the source of all hope. Oh, my God, my, my Godness, my goodness. I tell you, do you know what? Maybe today, through this next week, you've got to rediscover this glorious hope that, that you have within you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I tell you, it'll change the way you think. It'll change how you feel. Because this hope, the very attributes of this hope from God is joy in all of its fullness, peace in all of its richness as we trust Him through the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, I want you to abound in hope. And by that, He means you're going to have more than you can ever dream of. You're going to have more hope than you can ever imagine because God supplies it to overflowing to excess and beyond measure because this is so characteristic of God he doesn't give a meager amount he doesn't you know weigh it out in proportion to how everybody should have it he just lavishly pours it in and this is the prayer that Paul, that Paul prays for the church at Rome. A nice car wouldn't have done it. A new bank account invested in. A new home, a new house. Those days were far, far gone. They were being fed to the lions in the arenas and butchered so terribly. So he prays for hope to abound. And it did. Today, as we go from this place, our prayer is and our expectation in these times and beyond down into our future that we will continually encounter God, the source, the source of all hope, that our joy and our peace would overflow, that we would always be confident in the hope that he gives us, that we would hold it, seize it, and not let go of it in Jesus' name. Finally, Paul had already said this to them in Romans chapter 15, verse 4 to 6. And I want to read this to you because it's wonderful. You can read it when you go home. He says this regarding the scriptures. You see, this is what we've got to verse ourselves in. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement. The scriptures give us hope. You see, as you allow that word of God to seep down into your spirit and come up and overflow in your mind, you will have hope. Hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled and they are going to be fulfilled may God who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus then all of you can join together with one voice giving praise 
and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we give praise together with one voice? How do we give praise and honor that glorifies God the Father? Through hope. Through hope. Amen. I'm going to pray right now. Today you may have come. You may be here for the first time. And you've listened. And maybe you've not understood everything that's been said. And that's absolutely fine. But you know, maybe today as you've listened and we've sung, maybe you've felt that hopeless feeling inside. Oh, God loves us so much. He never wants any of us to be without hope, without God in our world. That's why Jesus came, died on the cross, took your sin and your punishment that you deserve before God, and he was buried. He took it into the grave. He rose again on the third day so that you might have a new and a living hope. Will you believe that today? That's all you have to do. That's all we've done. I'm going to pray right now. And if you would like to place your faith in Jesus Christ, something wonderful is going to happen. What we read about earlier, Christ is going to be in you and he's going to be the hope of glory that you move towards continually as you journey through this world. I'm going to pray. If you want to pray that prayer because you feel that sense of hopelessness and Jesus is not in your life, then I want to give you an opportunity to pray with me, quietly, quietly. Lord Jesus, pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me my sin, to come into my heart, to cleanse me of everything that would cause me to be hopeless. I ask you to save me. I believe that you died on the cross for me and that you were buried. But on the third day, you rose from the dead. I call on your name today for this salvation that you want to provide for me. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, if you prayed that prayer, Jesus has come to live in your heart. A miracle right now has taken place. And Christ in you is the hope of glory. And as you walk on and move through this life and as you come to church and you come with your friend and you, 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 you grow as a believer, this hope, you'll see this hope will cause you to thrive and be everything that God has called, called you to be. If you prayed that prayer, maybe before you, you leave today, we'd love to give you a little booklet. We'd love to give you just some information so that if you want us to help you on your way in this new beginning, this new life with Christ, then it would be our privilege and our honor to do that. So maybe just let... Uh, one of our team know before you leave, or your friend, if you've come with a friend, please let them know because this is the greatest decision, the greatest day of your life. Amen. Amen. Father, I pray also for your people. And we know how the enemy tries to wear us down with that spirit.
spirit of this hopeless age. But Lord, we thank you that we do not have a hopeless end that we are moving toward. We have hope in you, an endless hope in you. And I pray right across here, Lord, I pray as, as we read your word, I pray that it would live within us. It would dwell within us richly. And our minds, Lord, our minds would be set on you where you are in heaven so that we can truly be kingdom people in this earth. And all God's people said, I know you're not supposed to say it, but all God's people said,